I also want to take the opportunity to say Happy Easter. It is so awesome to see everyone here this morning. Before we even get started this week, I already want to start to talk a little bit about next week. We're starting a new series that we're calling Tough Questions. And we want to, as a spiritual family, we want to engage in some things about our faith that sometimes are challenging for us to think about. One of those is going to be, how, how do I know what God's will for my life is? How do I learn to discern that? And, and prayer, the, everything around prayer, like how, what do I need to know about that? There's tough questions around that. And why does it sometimes seem like I'm actually doing the very things that I don't want to do? If those kind of questions interest you, we're going to be starting a series about that next week. And so we hope to see you back here. And I'm kind of an honest guy, so I'm just going to tip my hand right now. I'm going to put all the cards face up on the table. I've got an agenda for you right now. And here's the agenda. I hope that what happens in the next several minutes will actually increase your picture of who Jesus is. That you'd have a greater appreciation for who he is and what it is that he's done for you. And I know that there's a whole spectrum of people in this room right now. There's probably people that are, right now you're not a person of faith but you're thinking about it. And I bet maybe for some of you, the only reason that you showed up here today is because you wanna text your mama when you leave here and tell her, I came to church on Easter, because you know that's gonna make her 2017. <laughs> and there's some of you, maybe you've been away from God for a while. There's a lot of reasons that can happen in our life. But my agenda for you was that you would hear something today you'd have a greater picture of Jesus and something in you would just say, God, I'm back, I'm back. Jesus, I want you to be more a part of my life. And if you came in here today and you love Jesus, I'm just praying that that love for him would grow even greater during this time because he is worth it. He is worthy of our lives. There's one question that I want us to think about today and I hope you think about it today throughout the day and ongoing. And the question is this, did God move the stone? We're here today celebrating the resurrection. The scripture tells us there was this stone in front of the tomb of Jesus. Did God move that stone? Did God's power break into time and space in a way that raised Jesus from the dead? Was that stone rolled away and did those early followers of Jesus, did they really find an empty tomb? Here's Matthew's account of what happened on that first Easter morning. Now Mary and Mary, they're on their way to the tomb. Not because they think that they're going to find a resurrected Jesus there, but because they actually want to take care of the body. They're assuming they're going to find a body there. And here's what Matthew tells us in Matthew 28, starting in verse 2. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid. Let's go back there. The guards. Remember that. Remember guards. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus 
who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. That's Matthew's account of that first Easter morning. But here's the question, did that really happen? Did God really move that stone that day? And friends, here's why it matters. Our faith hinges on that event. That event in human history, did that happen? Our faith rises or falls on whether or not this is an actual event in human history. You might think that our faith, it rests on the teaching of Jesus or the philosophy of Jesus, the moral teachings of Jesus. Maybe the, the doctrines, the theology of the Bible, that's what our faith rests on. The Bible says no. That's not what our faith rests on. The validity of our faith hinges on, was this an actual event in human history? And the Apostle Paul makes it so clear for us. He just draws a line in the sand in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's Paul saying? He's saying if this wasn't an actual event in human history, that Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead, he's saying all of us were wasting our time pursuing this Christ thing. He's saying, you shouldn't be gathered here today. You should be out there fishing. You should have a tea time. You should be doing something else. In fact, Paul later in this chapter, he says, we should eat, drink for tomorrow we die. And, and people from the outside looking in, Paul just said they should just shake their head and look at us and say, man, I feel so sorry for them. They just, they're so excited. They have this hope, but that hope is just going to hit a brick wall someday. I pity them. That's what Paul says should be true of us if Christ didn't raise from the dead. If he didn't raise from the dead, friends, he was just another religious leader that lived a unique life, taught a few unique things, died a noble death to be sure, but nothing more. Nothing more than that. And Christianity has nothing to say to our generation. But friends, we are here today. We are here today because 2,000 years ago, there were a lot of people that believed that they saw something that was completely unbelievable. They believed they saw a resurrected Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. It wasn't a great sermon that changed their life. It was the reality that I saw him dead and now he's alive. And friends, it wasn't just a couple of people and our faith rests on this. This is how Paul describes it, continuing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, from what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and, a big and there, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, all of the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. All of them together at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What Paul's saying is, it wasn't just a couple people, it was 500 at one time. And if you want, when Paul writes this letter, he's saying, we can go talk to him if you want to. We could take a Holy Land tour, we could talk to these people that saw the resurrected Jesus. But he says, then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Why is this so important? Why is this text of scripture so important to the Easter story? Because from the time of Jesus until now, people want to point back to this talk about the resurrection of Jesus as some kind of hoax. Like, why would we believe that? Why would we believe that to be true? We know what happened. The disciples, I'm sure what they did is they just stole the body, they hid the body, and then they just started this story because they just wanted to keep the dream of Jesus alive. And they wanted to keep this movement starting and going. But when 500 people at one time see the resurrected Jesus, it's a little bit tough to everybody keep their story straight. I mean, maybe if it was two, if there was just two, if it was just Mary and Mary that showed up at the tomb, I mean, I'm sure those two could have pinky promised and say, we're gonna keep this, we're gonna keep the dream alive. We're gonna tell this story. Maybe they could do it. But a, do a dozen people, are they all gonna keep the story straight? But 500 people, not a chance. Someone is going to cave. But here's the amazing thing as well. One of the reasons why I just think this can't be a hoax. If the enemies of Jesus wanted to squash this movement, and we know that they did, all they needed to do was produce a body. Just show the body so they could just say, this is not true. This is obviously not true. But here's the problem. Not only did they not have a body, but the body that they didn't have was actually walking around and talking to people and convincing them that he was alive. Friends, regardless of your level of skepticism that you may have today, this is one of the most difficult things for even the most hardened skeptics to explain. How did those first followers of Jesus, why were their lives transformed? if they didn't actually see a resurrected Jesus. Because here's what's amazing. We look at this story and the irony of it is, is that all of these early followers of Jesus, skeptics, every one of them, none of them believed. All of them at the arrest and the trial of Jesus, they all ran for the hills. They were all scared. They were all afraid. None of them were waiting for the resurrection. No one shows up for the funeral. No one is waiting for Jesus to be raised from the dead. The first two skeptics that show up are Mary and Mary that we read about. 
but they weren't going to the tomb because they thought that they were going to find a resurrected Jesus there. They were going there to take care of the body. They just wanted to take care of him, bring some spices, make sure that the embalming was done correctly. But they found something else when they got there. God had moved the stone. The tomb was empty. And immediately their response is, we've got to tell the disciples. So Mary and Mary, they run to tell the disciples. And wouldn't you think that these disciples that had followed Jesus his whole life, heard him say over and over, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be crucified, and I'm gonna be raised on the third day. Wouldn't they be excited to hear the good news that it's true, that he rose from the dead? No, they were skeptics. When the women told them what they had seen, they said to them, women, your words are like nonsense to us. It doesn't make any sense. But Peter at least was curious enough that I'm gonna at least go check it out myself. I'm gonna go look at the tomb. Peter gets to the tomb. It's empty. It's empty. Peter's skepticism turns to faith almost immediately. And think about the life of Peter. Think about what we know about him. Hardened skeptic even. At the arrest of Jesus, Peter is doing everything he can to distance himself from Jesus. He doesn't believe that he's gonna die and be raised from the dead. In fact, a little girl at the arrest of Jesus comes up to him and says, I think I know you. Weren't you with him? Weren't you one of them? And I mean, he's just backing up as fast as he can. And he's saying, get away from me. I don't even know who he is. Skeptic. But he sees an empty tomb, meets the resurrected Jesus. And just a few days later, we find this same Peter in the same streets of Jerusalem where they had just killed Jesus preaching. Preaching that Christ was crucified. He was buried and he was raised from the dead preaching to the same people that had killed Jesus and they could kill him too. But suddenly he was courageous. His life had changed from skepticism to faith. Peter's life was changed. Thomas, skeptic. I mean, Thomas even got a, a nickname out of his skepticism from the Bible. What do we call Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas. That's exactly right. Stuck with him to this day. Here's what happened with Thomas. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the first disciples, but he runs into the disciples later and they tell him, Thomas, he's alive. Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. And Thomas just gets so excited. Not exactly. Thomas says, no way guys, nope, not buying it. Guys, I saw him dead. I saw them, I saw them run nails through his hands. And just to make sure that he was dead, I saw them run a spear into his side and up under his ribs and through his heart to make sure that it wasn't beating any longer. Guys, I saw him dead. Unless I can actually see those nail marks and I can see that wound in his side, guys, I'm not gonna believe. Skeptic not a person of faith. But it takes a week, a week from that time that he first runs into the disciples before he gets his encounter with Jesus. And what does Jesus do when he sees Thomas? Does he shame him 
for his skepticism? Not at all. Because Jesus knows it is going to be so important that Thomas knows that I have risen bodily from the dead. I'm not a ghost. I am alive. And so he says, Thomas, come to me. Touch my hands. Feel my hands. Thomas, come. Put your hand in my side. I'm not a ghost. And I know I'm just a little bit crazy, but if you were Thomas and you were doing that, wouldn't you have wanted to like tickle him? (laughs) Just to make sure that he was real, that he was alive? And answer once and for all, is Jesus ticklish? Don't you guys wonder that? But Thomas came to the place where he said, I believe that God moved the stone. And his response to Jesus was, my Lord and my God. And his life was changed forever. James, the brother of Jesus. Now, now let's just stop just for a second and put a little parentheses around this. If you have siblings, what would it take for you to convince your siblings that you are God? Exactly. It's going to take more than a few magic tricks, a few, few good sermons that a lot of people come to. James, the brother of Jesus, he was not a fan of Jesus during the life of his ministry. In fact, we come to this place at the beginning of chapter, in Mark chapter 3, where we get this account. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. James is looking at the life of his brother. He doesn't think that he's God. He doesn't believe that what he's teaching, he's thinking Jesus is out of his mind and he's stirring up all this trouble. Let's go get him. Let's bring him back home. Let's get him in a straitjacket. Let's get him thinking straight so he doesn't get himself killed. James was not a fan of Jesus. But then we see after the resurrection of Jesus, James becomes one of the pillars and leaders in the early church. What happened to James? James believed that he saw something unbelievable, that his brother had been resurrected from the dead. James believed that God had moved the stone. Friends, I could go on and on and on. Life change. People who were very, very skeptical became some of the closest and most influential followers of Jesus because they believed that they saw something unbelievable. Jesus raised from the dead. And here's something else that is somewhat convincing to me. Because you might be able to say, well, these were his closest disciples. You know, I mean, you're kind of stacking the deck. I mean, they would have the most to win by this story of Jesus, to try to keep this dream alive. But think about how they wrote about themselves in this. Like, if you were one of those disciples and you were writing about yourself, wouldn't you be tempted in some way to make yourself look maybe just like a a little bit good in some ways, a little bit better maybe than you are? Like, wouldn't you want to write yourself into the story as, as being courageous, this amazing leadership in the face of adversity? 
full of faith, resilient. That's not what we see in their accounting of themselves. What we see in their accounting of themselves was that we were really, really scared. We were really, really confused. We were hiding. You know, we had almost no faith at all. They painted themselves as the most hardened of skeptics, but they became the most full of faith. And here's what I think is also ironic. You know who had some of the most faith in the resurrection of Jesus that it was gonna actually happen? The enemies of Jesus. I said earlier, I wanted you to remember that there were guards at the tomb. Why were there guards at the tomb? Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. Their last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate says, that sounds like a great idea. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. If this was a hoax, friends, what we have to believe is that these scared, confused, on-the-run disciples are gonna somehow muster the courage to fight through some trained Roman killers figure out how to move this stone away from the tomb, steal the body, and then start this movement on a lie. That's what we need to believe. Friends, their lives were transformed not because of a hoax, but because something changed in them when they saw the resurrected Jesus. Who would die for a lie? I mean, these men and women They were unwilling to die for him when he was alive. What makes us think that now suddenly they would die for him when they know that he's dead? But here's what's amazing. Do you wanna know how those original 12 died? Except for John, every one of them died a martyr's death. Every single one of them for two reasons. They preached two things. One, Jesus was God. Jesus is the son of God. And two, they preached he has risen from the dead. And it cost every single one of them their life. Some of them were killed with swords. Some of them were run through with spears. Some of them were killed with arrows. Most of them actually were crucified. And then there's Peter. Interestingly enough, Peter said, I want to be crucified upside down because I don't feel worthy to even die the same way that Jesus died. Friends, this movement that changed the lives of these early followers and still changes lives today and swept the Roman Empire following the resurrection of Jesus, could it have been started on a lie? Or 
did God move that stone? Did God actually, as an event of history, did he move that stone? And what difference does it make? What difference does it make to you and me here 2,000 years later? What difference does it make if God moved the stone? The difference is, if God moved that stone 2,000 years ago, we can trust that this same God, he can move stones in our life as well. He can move the stone in our life and let his light shine into the dark places of our life where we desperately need his light. We believe that he can move that stone and he can give us hope in our life where at this point, the only thing that exists is skepticism. Friends, if he moved that stone, he could move a stone in our life and he can bring dead things to life the same way that he did with Jesus. This is how Paul talked about that hope that we can have because of the resurrection. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Friends, I believe God still moves stones. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power can intersect time and space today and bring change to your life as well. Light in the darkness, hope in the skepticism, life from the death. God can do that. He still moves stones. He can bring light into your loneliness, that fear of failure, that insecurity, that hidden addiction in your life, that haunting past, and that fear of the future, that rigid religious heart, broken relationships, that lack of purpose, our wondering and our wandering, God can break in to every one of those, every single one of those, because he did it 2,000 years ago. God still moves stones. And friends, God didn't move that stone to let Jesus out. Jesus wasn't banging on the stone trying to get out of there. Jesus was already out. Friends, God moved that stone to let us in so that we can see he is risen. There is hope in him. There is hope for me. There is hope for you. God still moves stones. I told you at the beginning that I had an agenda. If you're here and you're not a person of faith, I hope that something has stirred in you. Maybe that at least makes you curious. Maybe just maybe there's a little bit more to this carpenter from Nazareth than I thought before. And you're gonna start to explore it more. I want you to come be a part of what we're doing around here. Be a part of the spiritual family. Explore that with us. It's worth it. And maybe you've been away from God for a while. Lots of reasons. Everybody's got their reasons. But you're back today. I'm gonna pray that something happens in your heart. We're not that you're just here today, but you just say, God, I'm back with you. I'm back with you. I wanna put you at the center of my life. 
And I pray that if you walked in here with a love for Jesus, I pray that that only grew as you spent just a few moments reflecting on the magnitude, friends, the magnitude of what he did for us, his death on our behalf, raising from the dead to prove that I am who I claimed to be. I can conquer death. I did conquer death for you. God wants to bring another resurrection. He wants to resurrect us. He wants to bring us to life. I just wanna ask you to put your things aside and I want you to go to a posture of prayer. And just in a few moments, I want you to express what's ever on your heart to God. What is the next step for you? Just tell him, even if you don't believe in him, even if you wonder if he's out there, tell him what you think is the next step for you. know that there might be some people here today that something's stirring in them and, and you're saying, I think I might believe. I think I might believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and I want to reach out and I want to grab a relationship with him. If you're sensing that in your heart right now, you're sensing that nudge, I want to help you do that. And you do that simply by praying to God and you can do that in your own heart and I just want you to follow along in your heart with me as I pray this prayer and you can pray it to God. God, I want to say to you today that I believe that you still move stones. I am asking you to move a stone in my life today. I need you today. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead, proving that you have power over death. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself and giving me your righteousness. I turn from my sin today and I respond to you in faith. I open the door of my life today and I invite you to be my Lord and I invite you to be my Savior. I give you control of my life today and I make you my king. I belong to you and I ask that you would make me the kind of person that you want me to be. If you prayed that with me, we think that's one of the biggest decisions that a person is ever gonna make in their life. And we don't wanna let this moment pass without giving you the opportunity to plant a stake in the ground and at least let one other person know that I made that decision God, I am so grateful that you are a God that moved that stone 2,000 years ago. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. Thank you that because of that, you have conquered death and you can bring resurrection life to me. Jesus, we just wanna honor you today. You are our resurrected King. And because of that, you are resurrecting me. And for that, I say thank you. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.